All right. We have another awesome podcast lined up today. This man was actually recommended by the last person that we had on our our podcast. Uh, Dave Wilkie, the Army Ranger, texts me immediately after he's done and says, you need, you need to get this guy on. He is an Ironman, a two-time Ironman, and he was my bash brother in high school. So we have for you today the great Vin Ferranti. Vin, how you doing? I'm good, Coach. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for coming on. So I, I got to ask, you were a lineman in high school, an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman. How does a lineman go to becoming a, an Ironman? How does that happen? Well, first let me uh, just say thanks to Dave for putting me up to this. And uh, for you having me on, I'm, I'm humbled by your words and by Dave's uh, recommendation. But uh, to get to the question, uh, physically you slim down a lot <laughs> compared to being a lineman in football. Uh, you cut the visits to the buffets to maybe uh, once a month rather than uh, twice a week. That was kind of the, the norm back in the day to try to gain weight. Now try to cut weight because uh, the lighter you are, the easier it is to to go long distances. But other than that, it's uh, it's pretty similar to football. Uh, at least for me, it felt that way. You know, having something to train for, daily uh, workout routines to get done. You got a goal at hand, so every day you wake up and you're like, all right, I got to do this in order to get to the end game, which is, you know, performing on race day. Uh you know, once football is over, you get bored of just going to the gym and, you know, trying to just kind of look good or, or get strong. You know, having something on schedule, putting a race in sight, all that kind of uh, made sense for me and just became really fun. And I just kind of got into it, got a bit of that competitive fire back and uh, got hooked from there. So I get that. I get you're a competitive football player, you play it at a higher level, and then, boom, one day it's gone, right? And now you have this bug, i got to compete with something else. But why an Ironman? I mean, first of all, can you explain what an Ironman is? This is not a, a, a two-minute walk around a Bloomingdale Park, right? Can you explain exactly what an Ironman is? Yeah. That's, uh, so the race itself, it's a 2.4-mile swim, and you get out, you head to your transition one, you change out of your – or you don't change. Some people don't. You get your uh, your your bike gear on, and then you hit a 112 mile bike. Then you have transition two. You get into your running gear, and you got a 26.2 mile run, a full marathon. Um, <laughs> it's start. Yeah, that's that's so pretty what, much that. What made you want to do that? Like that's insanity. What made you say I want to do this? Uh, well. I signed up for a few small races. Uh, I had a, a good time doing that. Um, wasn't like very serious. Uh, I did the Staten Island Pancake, uh, which we actually I think volunteered for with uh, Coach Manos one year, and that was just a sprint, which is the smallest triathlon or the quickest triathlon race you could do. It was just a point two five mile swim, twelve mile bike, three mile run, and. Uh, then from there, I you know, I had a great time. I uh, signed up for the New York City uh, Triathlon, which is an Olympic uh, size or Olympic distance. And uh, from there, I just got hooked. Did a, a half Ironman the following year, and then two more Ironman following that. Now, so, is it true I mean, that, is there a time limit for each leg of that event? Like, if you don't make the uh, the swimming portion in a certain amount of time, you're eliminated? Yeah. Well, 
race-wise, it's a total of 140.6 miles, which uh, you see some tools put that on their bumper sticker, uh, which I can't <laughs> stand. But, yeah, so the gun goes off usually around 6.40 a.m., and that's when you hear your uh, your pros taking off and for their swim. Um, and there's pros at every uh, Ironman race. Everyone's trying to get a qualifying spot at Kona, which is the uh, annual championships in Hawaii. Um, but from there to around, like, 7, you get your second gun. That's for your average Joes, like myself. You got two hours and 20 minutes to finish the swim, uh, eight hours and 10 minutes for the bike, and six, hour and six hours and 30 minutes for the race, for the, uh, the run portion, marathon. Uh, with your transitions in between, don't forget that. So that's 16 hours altogether. If you start at 7 a.m., uh, it leaves you with the perfect cutoff at uh, midnight, which is actually a huge event uh, at the finish line at midnight. You know, everyone who got done or everyone who's still participating, families are all there cheering on the, the last guy or girl to cross the line. Um, music band's going. Uh, you know, people are drinking, celebrating, and then, you know, everyone's cheering on that last guy. And then from there, after uh, you finish and you hit that 16-hour uh, mark, you're not an Ironman anymore. You just uh, you get your name called out, and you're just a finisher. Congratulations, Chris, you finished, or whatever your name is. So let me, I want to just get this straight because this is really foreign for the guys on this line because we, we run in like uh, 20 to 40-yard sprints. You're saying that you you have to do this whole event. If you don't get it, if you get it done one minute afterwards, too bad. You're not an Ironman. You're just the guy that finished. Yeah. Uh, as far as what that means, I mean, just finishing for some people is, I'm sure, they're just ecstatic. Doesn't matter to them. Uh, but not not being able to finish in that 16 hour and not being a quote unquote Ironman. Uh, it's got to be probably disappointing, I could imagine. There's some people who are still out on the course. I know uh, when it's still midnight, I mean, after midnight, it's dark out, and they're starting to clean up, and people are still trying to just finish their distance. But, yeah, that's what you're shooting for. And you are a two-time Ironman, am I correct? Yeah, I did uh, Lake Placid. That was my first one, and that's the toughest course, supposedly, in the country. And uh, I did... Panama City, uh, Florida, last year, um, and that's actually one of the flatter courses and uh, was much more forgiving as far as hills go, and uh, timing was over an hour better for Panama City. So, yes, two-time full Ironman. Have, I've done two full Ironman. I wouldn't call myself an Ironman, but, yeah, I've done two full Ironman. And, and let's not forget, and we'll get to this later, you were also the first ever First ever advanced training tough man champion 2008. It all started there, folks. We're taking full credit yeah. for your Ironman uh, championships there. Yeah, I, I put that on all my resumes whenever I apply for jobs. <laughs> uh, I still keep that going. It's a good conversation starter, you know. So I'm proud of that. So for you, you have these three legs of the event. Which one do you think is the hardest for you? Uh, well, statistically, it would be the swim. Um, as far as my ranking goes, but I actually enjoy the swim physically and mentally during the race. It's not even close. It's the run, even though it's, it's the best portion of my race, as far as my rankings go and where I fall for my age group and for the whole race. Uh, I mean, 
it's absolutely the run. To to me, the race doesn't start until you get off the bike, you head into transition till, you put your sneakers on, you check your nutrition real quick, you, uh, you check your gels, make sure you have everything ready to go, and then you start that run, and then it's on. It's like the whole day was kind of leading up to that point. You start off feeling decent, <laughs> and then bed, and then it just gets worse from there. And uh, there's no headphones allowed during Ironman events, official Ironman events. So you're just out there, you and your thoughts, and uh, pain, and a whole marathon to go. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what you got to look forward to the whole day. All right, you, just, you touched on a lot that I want to dive into. I want to dive into a bunch of things. So, one, you're telling me that the thing you hate the most, statistically, is the thing you're the best at. Is that, is right. that correct? You, you, how, how did it get that way? Did you just hate that marathon so much that that was one of the things that you focused on running, or were you naturally better at, say, running at, relatively to swimming or, or bike riding? Yeah, I think I think it is just naturally what I've done more throughout, all, throughout my life and through, obviously, sports. Uh, I didn't start riding a bike or swimming really even close to these distances. I mean, I could barely swim when I started all this. But running came easiest to me. Uh, I did the New York City Marathon a few years back. I actually ran a sub eight. I don't know. I just got better at running throughout the years and endurance, and uh, and I actually enjoy it um, for the most part. At the end of, a, of an Ironman, it it does suck, uh, and your legs are jello coming off the bike, and uh, you know it's just. It's a now, whole mental you, part. It's a whole mental part that comes on right then and there. You mentioned check your nutrition. Are you eating during the 16 hours? Are you what, what are you doing? Some people will. I mean, everyone you talk to is different and it's you get all different weird answers. For me, I don't do well with solid food during the race at all. All my blood uh is being channeled to my legs or my arms during the the swim. Um I stick mostly with gels. I, I I use um a few different ones. Try to I try to get stuff that's not too harsh on the stomach cuz you don't want to run into any cramping or GI issues that you hear about uh that could turn ugly, turn a race day really tragic for some people and you see it on on the course. It's pretty disgusting, but um I use a shake called Ucan, which is a slow release carb shake um i believe they use cornstarch or corn um but that i i'll take before my uh my swim and then i'll have that i have two bottles ready to go on my bike and i'm slowly sipping that at uh every 15 minutes i'll take a sip of that and every 10 minutes i'm I'm taking in liquid so you got to have all that stuff mapped out and down to almost the science and even when you think you have it figured out you don't and you're still trying to work it out as you go and what are you eating, say, the night before a competition? Oh, those are the those are the best days leading up to the because it's not just uh, the night before. You know, you hear about carving up, carving up. It's not just the night before, and that's something that I've I've come to learn. And uh, you know, it's a few days leading up to it. You you're you're fully stocking your uh, your body's cabinets uh, with carbs. Um, but the night before, I don't get too crazy uh, like. Simple pasta, uh, some protein in there. Um, I try not to eat to the point of discomfort. 
uh, which I had an issue one race, you wake up, you know, the morning of you got everything on your mind. The last thing you want to do is deal with stomach issues. So, um, mostly just pasta with some shrimp. That was, that's like my kind of go-to, uh, the night before a race. And you talked about, you can't wear headphones. You have to stay focused. I mean, I jogged a half a mile around Howell Park last week and I got bored about halfway through. How, what are you doing? What are you thinking about to keep yourself going on this 16 hour trek? You kind of just, you kind of zone out, you know, you, during the race, you try to enjoy it. You know, the swim part, I enjoy the most. I think it's beautiful. It's, it's, the sun's barely coming up. Last time I was in Panama City, I was in the ocean. Uh, there was actually like sea life around us when we were swimming. Um, and you, you try to remind yourself, especially the first one you do. I got a great piece of uh, coaching advice from someone, and they were like, just remember, you're about to do something for the first time in your life that you've never done before. Enjoy it, you know, and that you try to remind yourself that. And then throughout the bike course, most of these places are kind of scenic. You kind of try to take that in, enjoy it. Um, and you t- you even end up talking to some people during the race, uh, which can end up to be some funny conversations. Uh, and, yeah, you just got you. Just stay focused at what you got in hand and, and pay attention to what you're doing with your nutrition as well. That's that's always on your head at all times. And you're you're conserving. Your whole race is a big con- conservation of energy until the end. And then, you know, you want to push what you think you have left until you cramp. And then you're wondering why the hell you ever did this in the first place. I, I was going to ask you. So essentially you're, you're essentially you're pacing yourself as much as you can. And how do you know what your pace is? Is it through your training? Is it through a guy that you know you can compete with? How do you know what's the right pace so you don't burn out? Well, you know kind of what you're capable of or you should know, obviously, leading up into all your training and uh, what you've done prior. I know, you know, what my marathon time is. I'm not going to run that in my run portion of the Ironman, there's no shot, you know, you, you, you're you going to run slower. Um, so you, you keep an eye on that. Your your bike, I on my bike, I have a little uh, computer that's kind of telling me, you know, what my RPMs are, what's my power outage. I try to stay at about 85 to 90 RPMs, keep the lactic acid from building in my legs. Obviously, I get slower on some hills, uh, faster on other parts of the race. Uh, the Lake uh, Placid Ironman has six miles straight of downhill. You, I hit like 50 miles per hour on that part. You're just kind of churning and trying to recuperate at that moment. But um, Do you have a coach, an actual coach, helping you through each one of these events and teaching you techniques, or is this something you just did on your own? I So we have a coach uh, through – the FDNY triathlon team, and that, the team itself, I learned a lot from. The coach, he's great. He gives us a workout schedule and answer questions uh, via email. But other than that, uh, I talk to a lot of guys I race with or or who are doing this for a lot more, uh, who have a lot more experience than I do. 
I'm on YouTube almost every day for tips and answers on what the hell I'm doing wrong and why I'm sucking so bad at that moment. Uh, most of it is trial and error, especially in the nutrition part of the race. Like we said, that's a whole other animal altogether. I'm always asking other athletes, what are they doing? What are they eating? What are they using to refuel during workouts to, to plan your fuel and hydration for the whole day? You know, it's something you can't really do until you do it and you try it. And you can't try it until you set out for a 10, 11, 12-hour, you know, workout, which is what the Ironman can be for you. It can be slower. can be better. It's better, good for you. Uh, I cramped bad on my first full Ironman in the run. That was, uh, I think, a lack of sodium intake and a hot day combined. And uh, it did me in. I had to suck down salt packets for 18 miles before my legs finally came back and I could run the normal pace that I wanted to run at without cramping. Because before that, from mile 2 to 20, I was run-walking, trying to get my legs back. I just, I, When you were telling me that story, I was thinking if this was a normal human being, they would have just quit or stopped. But then I'm thinking, all right, I'm talking to Ben Ferranti. There's no way he's stopping. So I'm, I, I knew the end of that story without even knowing it. That's awesome. So <laughs> a couple of quick questions, because uh, you, everything you're saying I want to dive into so much. So you, you said that you, it, sometimes you talk to guys during the competition. Do guys get physical with each other during the competition to try and gain position? So – Physically, no, you, you'll get thrown out the race. But, uh, you know, during the swim does get physical. It's It gets brutal at some points. I've been kicked numerous times. Uh, I've had feet, or I have had my feet, uh, or my legs grabbed by other swimmers, uh, physically squeezed in by other swimmers, which can be really uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable swimming in open water like that. I haven't been swimming my whole life. Uh, it messes with your rhythm, your breathing, you, you know, your mental state. You're trying to stay calm, and you, you got nowhere to go. Nothing, you can't see. Uh, you can't really breathe and turn your head and get the breath you want. Uh, that's where you end up with those tragic deaths that you hear about in these races. A few of them you hear, you get every year, uh, and that's not from some 130-pound guy drowning another competitor or knocking him out. But panic sets in for some people. Uh, I've had it happen to me. You can't see much. Like I said, when you're all bunched up, the splashing, limbs, tough to breathe. Uh, maybe the guy didn't warm up, probably not starting to swim. He just did, like, you know, a little static stretch. His heart rate jumps up and all the chaos. And then uh, they find a few victims uh, to have had heart attacks or drown. So, yeah, that part can get physical. But other than that, it's the rest is just mental, you know. The rest is just uh, seeing somebody pass you and you pass them. You're trying to for the most part, take people out of the game mentally. I mean, you're racing yourself, really, you know, unless you're a professional. Um, but there's some people that you'll come across, and, uh, you know, they'll push you to move faster. And uh, you do the same. I had one guy. He was actually a Marine, and we we finished the run portion sprinting to the finish line just because we were battling it out for most of the race. And that was – and we ended up hugging at the end of the race. That was That was a good time. <laughs> Now, when, when you guys are swimming, are there lifeguards right around you, or is it even possible to get to somebody with so many bodies in the same place? They they do. They have a lot of safety uh, precautions set out there. They have uh, people on long boats. They got people on little uh, surfboards. 
and they're trying to keep an eye on everything, but, I mean, you're talking about thousands uh, of races at the same time, and most races it's two loops, so people get mixed in. You know, you set out with similar people of your what you think you're going to finish in with your time, and what ends up happening is you end up lapping some people on the way back because uh, you got to go in, come out, the water, and then start your swim. You're basically doing 1.2 miles of a swim twice. Um, it's just tough to keep an eye on everybody. And like I said, if every year there's a few deaths that occur. But, I mean, that's not the norm, statistically. First of all, that that is tragic. You know, you're doing something that for a competition, it should be fun. But I, I could see it happening. It's a... It's a risk. Is there anything you could do to to mitigate that risk, or it's just it is what it is? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people don't really uh, they don't warm up before they get in the water. I mean, my heart rate jumps up as soon as I, you, you can't help it. You're starting a race, no matter how calm you want to remain. You're starting a race. You end up bunched up with people. Everyone's trying to. Uh, some races you have a, like a line or uh, like buoys that you're trying to sight and people are trying to stay along that line. So everyone's kind of bunched up trying to make sure that they stay as straight as possible. But, I mean, if you don't warm up, like I do a, a mile jog before I get in the water, you know. You see some people who are just static stretching um, before a race. But, you know, you're not you're not really prepared to, to go for a full day of work. And, uh I guess that com- uh, combined with nerves and, and everything else, like I just spoke about, uh, could end uh, poorly for some people, unfortunately. And if we're talking safety, because I want to ask you how you train, but I have to ask you, how do you train? Like, if you're living in New York City, where are you riding a bicycle and swimming to train for this? Like, where, where are you finding the space? Uh, you don't. <laughs> you don't <laughs> train. You don't train in the city. Uh, for these type of distances. I mean, I go to the Y. That's where I use to swim. Um, I get out in some lakes upstate or I head out into Long Island for some swims in the ocean just to get to that adjustment of being not in a pool and feeling safe with having uh, the line underneath you and, and the floor, but, you know, being out there, not being able to see. You don't have much vision under the water. Um, in an open water compared to a pool, but uh, and for bike riding, you know, you can't you can't really do it safely in the city. I hit Prospect Park um, or Central Park every once in a while, but for the most part, I'm heading out either I'm out of the five boroughs. I'm either in Long Island or I'm upstate New York, um, putting together those long rides for hours where you could be on a road and not have to deal with traffic. Uh, Whatever, whatever it is, there's just tons of people in the city. You got to get out. You got to get out of the city if you want those long rides. So I guess this is kind of like a, a two-part question. But you gave me the where. When are you doing this, and how are you? How are you breaking up the training cycle? Are you running, swimming, and bicycling every day, or do you kind of split it up by by day? I follow a schedule that, for the most part, remains um, pretty even as far as what days I'm doing what, the workload always changes. Every four weeks, it'll be a light uh, recovery week. But for the most part, um, I have two days of uh, bike 
and swim combined. So my swim will be in the morning and then later in the evening or um, in the afternoon I'll get on the bike and I'll go for my quick bike ride. Um, and two other days during the during the week will be runs. And one day during the week will be a rest day, um, which is big. The rest day is big. And then Saturday and Sunday on the weekends, I have two big workouts, call them brick workouts. Uh, it's when you're combining biking and running um, straight into each other. So, you know, you start your bike, and then it's no rest at all, kind of a, a nice little practice for the race. You get your sneakers on, and you go for your run. And those are long. Those are my two long workouts of the week. So that's what my typical week looks like. And like I said, uh, workload-wise, that's always changing. And you're leaving. You're leaving New York City four times a week to do this. No, no. A lot of times, uh, due to time and uh, just access, um, I'm going to the Y. I'm doing my like if I have a 24 at the firehouse. Um, I'm waking up at five. I'm going to the Y. I'm getting my swim in before, and then maybe later in the day. Or maybe that morning, if I have enough time, I'll, I'll try to get it done back-to-back. Uh, later that day, I'll, I'll try to get one on, on a... I have a trainer that I bring to the firehouse. You just take off the back tire of my bike. You basically bike in place, uh, which isn't the best. You know, getting interrupted a lot with runs, but it's the best you could do with what you got. Sometimes if you want to stick to a schedule. Uh, and you don't have, obviously, the luxury of having a full day off. How many hours um, a day, like how many hours of a week are you training? It varies, like I said, depending on what what level and how close I am to actual race day. But it's about 20, 20 to 30, depending on what what level I'm at. And, and uh, you know, it ramps up, it, it, you taper down, it ramps up, it tapers down. But, yeah, I'd say on average – like 25. Um, it's Monday to your Monday workout, like I said, with the swim and the bike. Those are quick hour workouts. Uh, Tuesday, a quicker run, same thing for the week. And then your weekends, I mean, your brick workouts could be as long as five hours long. You know, Saturday is a long bike followed by a short run, maybe three, four-hour bike at its peak, followed by an hour run. And then Sunday, you're looking at a short bike, like an hour, and uh, a long run, which at the top of, of uh, the race schedule could be 16, 18, or a 20-mile run after that hour bike. So what is your uh, like your social life like? I, I can't imagine that you can even <laughs> afford to have a hangover, right? Like, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, I won't say that uh, hangovers – aren't uh, pushed through at times throughout throughout the year or uh, throughout the season. As I get closer to the, like if I'm like a month and a half, two months out of race day, you know, I, have, I say no to a lot of guys who, you know, putting together nights or want to go out, get dinner. I got to kind of be regimented about that. But um, I tried, you can't, you can't just be all work, no play. You, you got to enjoy yourself a little bit. I, uh, Cut back on the drinking a lot, like leading up to the race again. But as much as I can, you know, I'll afford myself one day of of you know cutting loose a little bit. Otherwise, it's just 
it's not you're not going to enjoy it as much. For me, at least, no. there's some people who would be very religious about it. I got to enjoy it a little. Now, your roommate, uh, the great Phil Manti, also another incredible football player back in high school. Except when he gave up on that. God, he gave up on that play. <laughs> I, I always remind them. He, he he claims it was a long was it a long run or a long pass? He claims that he wasn't catching the kid. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. St. Anthony's. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I'll let Phil come on and defend his position at some other point. But I was going to ask you: uh, Is he a good influence or a bad influence on your social life? <laughs> Uh no, Phil's a good influence. Phil uh I've lived with Phil the last seven years. Um uh, we travel a lot. Um we do we do a lot of trips together. We've been going Oktoberfest pretty much every year, uh for the last four years. There's times when he's not the best influence and he's trying to put something together and I got a, an early run or an early bike and I got to tell him no. And he's learned to accept my no more easily now, which a lot of friends do, you know, they they get it after a little while of you turn him down and they'll try to give you crap. But, but for the most part, I won't put Phil down for, uh, for influence wise. He's, he's a good guy. Well, listen, man, I'll say this. You're listening to Wilkie. You're listening to Matt Castellano. You're listening to people we have come on the podcast Ordinary people give you ordinary results. So for you to do what you're doing, you can't be just another guy. You got to say no, and it's hard. But I, I love, I just love the mentality that you had because if you were going out and drinking all the time, there's no way you're going to be completing these uh, these Ironman competitions. No, you're not. You, you can't physically perform hungover all the time at the way you want. You're not going to go in and get a good training session hungover than you are. It's just facts. Then you know not not drunk, not hungover, well-rested, all these things. And alcohol affects your rest. Alcohol affects your sleep. Alcohol affects your recovery. It's it's facts. And uh, the science, you know, there's multiple studies in science that proves that. It's just a matter of if you're going to be willing to put in the discipline and the work. And uh, if I don't want to fail. I, that was my biggest thing going into my first Ironman. I, did, I was so afraid of failing. I didn't want to. I was telling everybody I was doing this race. I'm doing this Ironman. I'm doing this Ironman. You know, if you want, no, I'm doing an Ironman. You know, people get sick of hearing it. But in my head, it was all right. I told everybody I'm doing this thing. I, I can't miss this workout. I can't. I can't come sh- come up short at the end and and be a failure at this thing I set out to do. So that stuff kind of helps you. You know, having the goal at the end of the tunnel insight and know knowing what you're training for that all helps you know stay quote-unquote clean and sober for when you need to and i'd say that that i'm going to put a big emphasis on the word you that i think that's what helps you i mean i know you since you're a 16 year old kid and as great of a football player as you were and as great of a competitor as you are you always were had this fear of failure. Like, I don't want to fail. Even before this podcast, you're like, man, it's tough to come on the air after uh, Dave Wilkie. I, I don't want to fail at the podcast. And then at the same time, you were the guy that really read the questions that we prepped the most. Like, you put a lot of thought into it. You gave me some comments on stuff that you did and didn't want to talk about. So I think your fear of failure, like you said, is what, for you, really drives you to become the competitor that you are and excel at the level that you're that you're competing at. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people, other people have the other mindset, but I think in, for for you specifically, that fear of failure is what's driving you. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate that. Uh, really, truly.
Um, you're right, though. For some people, maybe it doesn't, and you know that through coaching. Some people you got to motivate otherwise, and and uh, and try to hit them with you know positive reinforcement. And there's all different ways to coach uh, every every guy. Um, but but yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And for me, you know, that failure could push you through a lot of walls that stand in your way in life. So, and I, I, guess I, I try a good to point, just, right? Like. Some guys you got to tell you're the best. Some guys you got to tell you're the worst. If you were coaching you, what would you tell yourself? You know, if, if you're, I don't know, 20 years from now, come down and coach you, would you tell yourself you're the best? Would you tell yourself you're the worst? How would you motivate you? No, I would I would tell myself I'm the worst. I've, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I would pretty much follow uh, everything uh, – I think Manos did a good job of that. I think Manos did a good job of getting the most out of us. <laughs> and, you know, there were a lot of uh, choice words he had for things going on in stands with, you know, so-and-so's family member. And, you know, it kind of got you going. I don't know if it's the best thing. It got me going. It got me angry. It got me fired up. But, yeah, no, I would definitely be pushing myself in a negative manner and uh, trying to uh, – Trying to get that fire going with that fear rather than, uh, you know, flowers and, and, and uh, you're the best type of comments. I don't think that that does the most for me personally. All right. So I, you did talk about your training on the in the water, on a bike, running around. Are you doing anything else? Are you in a gym? Are you, are you lifting weights? Yeah, I am. I, I, so the biggest thing for me that why I enjoy doing this is it's, it's extremely functional for me. Like I get to be a monster endurance wise compared to everybody that I'm around at the firehouse or whatever, but I, I don't want to be weak compared, you know, I don't want to go to pull somebody out or, or, or whatever, pull a ceiling down and, and my arms are shot or I'm tired or whatever. So I try to incorporate that. And also even the best triathletes, when you read, some of their books or what they have to say about their training, they always hit a wall and they always say that once they started incorporating weightlifting or, or just like, you know, core workouts, everyone has their own thing that they like to do, uh, their numbers improved as well. You know, people are afraid to do one or the other. People think that uh, endurance training breaks down muscle. People think vice versa. If you, if you, uh, if you lift weights, going to hinder you and to a certain degree it, it does you can't you can't be the best the strongest while also probably being the the most whatever you can't have the most endurance while also trying to put up max numbers your numbers will be best if you just lifted sure but if you, for me finding that middle ground finding that like functional uh, mixture, I, that's what I enjoy. So I try to incorporate some core, some upper body, you know, throughout the week. And then one day a week I'll do light um, deadlifts, light squats, and and just try to keep myself honest as far as, you know, being strong goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to your numbers. I, you were just a insane back squatter at advanced training. I think you were in the, the mid-400s with back squat. I remember your form being impeccably it – was, it was perfect, you know, perfect hip angles, perfect upper body posture. Are you still squatting anywhere near that, or is it just literally as light as you sit? No. Off-season, I, I take my uh, – and when I say off-season, I mean 
the day after my uh, my racing hat comes off and uh, you know fun comes on, I'm I'm back into that uh, advanced training or you know gym lifting mode. I, I slowly have to work up, obviously, because my numbers aren't where they are. But uh, I've gotten into the off season back up to those numbers. You know, I three sixty five, four six seven. You know, you try to build in that off season, try to set that bar high again, so you you know you have something to work with and maintain during the off season. But yeah, I I definitely you, you can't you, you I don't think I'll ever lose that where you don't want to push yourself, you don't want to lift the most weight, you don't want to get under there and see how much you could do. I, I try to be disciplined and say I don't need to do this anymore, but it's it's tough not to. It's so much fun still to this day, power clean and see how much you could get on the deadlift. I, yeah, I still do that. <laughs> Sure. It's a, it's a gift and a curse, my friend. A gift and a curse. So completely off off topic question. You're riding a bicycle how far? 117 miles, you said? Uh, 12, 112. 112. Sorry, I didn't mean to overstate that. 112. <laughs> do these things break while you're riding 112 miles? And if yes, how do you know how to fix a bicycle? Did somebody have to teach you? Or you just learn on the fly? You know, what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, it happens all the time. It happens. You see it throughout the race. People are on the side of the road. The bike flipped over. They're trying to flip a tire. They're trying to change that tire. Excuse me. Um, everyone has a little pack. If you don't, you're an idiot. But everyone has a little pack underneath their seat. Uh, it's got a. It's got an extra tube. Um, you should have either a, a hand pump, which isn't really um, as quick, or, or a, a CO2 cartridge with a little. Uh, like puncture gun, and basically you got to change a tire. You got to take the old old tube out, new tube in, get it all together, and then uh, hit it with that CO2 cartridge, and that'll give you some air. And then later throughout the race, uh, throughout the course, they'll have certain stations where you could, you know, get some air in your tire. But yeah, if you're not trained into how to change a tire, you shouldn't be getting on any type of race course. Uh, Is it like I had to learn. Go ahead. Is it like NASCAR where? You know, you got to practice that, too. You have to be fast, get that tire, that tube in and out. I mean, if you're trying, if you're going for your time and you have a goal in your head, then, yeah, every minute counts. You, you're, When I set out for my day, I have an idea of how long I want to take with my swim, how long I want to take with my bike, um, and how long I want to be on the run. Um, that being said, something like that, I mean, everyone brings up the analogy of Mike Tyson. Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Uh, a flat tire is a punch in the face, you know. That that's gonna change what you gotta do. It's gonna take some time off. Um I I ha luckily I, I don't even wanna say it, but luckily I haven't had one yet. Um I've dropped my chain a few times on the hills at Placid. Um but that's been the worst as far as I go. The worst I've seen I, I did a uh Olympic triathlon in uh Lake George and I I saw a guy get T boned, literally hit head I mean, from his side Head on by a uh, a buck, totally destroyed him. <laughs> disconnected from his bike. Luckily, his his his, uh, his shoes disconnected from his pedals. Uh, I actually stopped because I was right behind him. Talk about you know what a few seconds would do if I was side by side with him. I would have been the guy on his right getting crushed. But I stopped, and I I believe that guy finished the race. I asked about him. I stayed with him until somebody you know with medical. Uh, assistance would be able to help him out, and and then I I got on my way. And I asked after the race, and they were like, "Yeah, that guy finished." 
which was pretty I wild. I feel like I've, but, I've seen that on Instagram somewhere, either on, like, Nature is Metal or, like, Fun Failures or something, but I feel like I've seen a guy in some sort of triathlon getting railed by some deer. Wow. I bet I bet <laughs> it happens a bunch. I thought it, I thought it was crazy to me, but I told, spoke to a few people, and they're like, yeah, that happens. I'm like, oh, all right. I thought that was special, but I guess not. I guess it happens a lot when you're you're riding out there in, uh, in the woods like that. Which, by the way, that's a good race if anyone wants to do the Lake George uh, Triathlon up there. That's a fun one. I'm thinking about our the audience, and hopefully uh, you you drive some more Iron Men to listen to this episode. But I'm thinking about our crew. You know, we are we are short. We are sprinters. If one of you guys are inspired to do this, please do it and let me know. We'll get uh, Vin Ferranti to be your coach. I know a couple of these guys have done Murph, which is like, obviously not even close to what you're doing. But for me, that, that looked like uh, 17 marathons in a row just watching them do it. Well, I, listen, I I love Murphs. I love I love everything that we do. Um, well, like our group of guys. And mentally... I think you could probably put 80% of the guys, and they'll finish a marathon. They, they may not be running at all. They'll may, they may have to walk a portion, jog a portion, run, jog, walk repeatedly. I think 80% will get it done. And I think the other 20% probably only can't finish because, I don't know, a physical injury hinders them. Maybe a, something goes. But if you had to force our guys to do it, we will get it done. I, I say that with confidence as far as, the guys listening to this or the guys I know that came out of sea football, I would say that for the most part, uh, the mental toughness part, we will get it done. It may not be great, it may not be pretty, but we would get it done. You would get it done, Coach. Ignari would finish no. a marathon. Ignari <laughs> would finish a marathon. <laughs> if I just bring you in as a motivational speaker to talk to the crew, especially me. I'm sorry to hang it up. So you, you're doing all this volume of work, and you, every fourth week you say you have what I would call a deload week. What other things are you doing to recover? Oh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do a lot of things, but uh, I, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, I, I try to rest and sleep, um, and it doesn't happen obviously because of my job. I also bartend on the side. I I have a, a travel issue where I like to travel a lot and I need money to travel. I also need money to do these races. These things aren't cheap. Buying a bike isn't cheap. Neutral, buying all this nutrition isn't cheap. So I, that stuff I have to kind of uh, sacrifice a little rest and sleep. But for, if I had a perfect recovery schedule, it would be rest, sleep, stretch. You know, stretching is huge. You know, people don't want to really stretch after a workout. They're tired. They want to get take their shoes off, they want to get home, sit down, whatever, have a drink. But you got to stretch, you got to hold your stretches too. You know, 30 seconds to a minimum I try. If I'm actually, if I have time, then I'm going to hold for three minutes. And that I feel like really releases whatever I got going on. My IT band is the worst out of everything. I'm stretching all day. If I'm just standing there at the house or whatever I'm doing, I'm stretching. If I'm watching TV at night or a show, I'm stretching. Uh, using foam rollers, get those painful spots, those knots, you know, just hold it on that. It's painful, but it works. Roll out your feet with golf balls or lacrosse balls. You can put those in the freezer. That really is nice. Break up all that muscle tissue in your feet that kind of build up. Um, I never thought I'd be doing yoga, but I'll just throw on a YouTube video 
I'll type in like, you know, hip and, and leg, hip and lower back, and I'll just follow along for 30 minutes, and uh, and I'll try to target whatever's bothering me um, at that moment. And then nutrition, you know, I try to try my best to get a recovery shake as soon as possible. Um, as soon as I'm done, I try to have one ready to go. Uh, I use Vega Recovery. It's a four to one carb to protein ratio. That that they have found they've found that to be the best as far as uh refueling and replenishing. And then I'll wait thirty minutes, thirty, forty five minutes for that to hit my bloodstream and uh give a chance for the blood to enter my stomach again. Also with those shakes they're easy to digest. You can't re- it, you don't digest as well if you had a heavy workout and then you just start eating food. Uh it's kinda tough uh, on your digestive tract. So I'll try to wait a little bit before I have, you know, a full meal with some protein and, and and carbs and everything else. And then lots of fruit throughout the day. I find that to be kind of helpful, anti-inflammatory, and um, delicious. You know. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, you know, I'll make a, a leap here that advanced training had some influence on anything you just said right there. But I'm thinking about, at a minimum, you're talking about the protein shake, four-to-one ratio of carbs to protein. I mean, that's something we were talking about literally in 2007, yes. 2008. With biotrust, yes. sorry, biotest, <laughs> biotest surge protein. So, man, I, I love everything you just said. I'm either it's stuck in your head or you learned it afterwards, but either way, I, you're preaching the same thing we are. And I, I love that you're taking care of yourself. You're stretching. You know, I think the magic number is two minutes. If you're not holding a stretch for two minutes, a static stretch, you're not doing anything. So, uh, glorious stuff, man. Because I, I, if, if you are sore, if your workout from today kills tomorrow, that you just kind of went backwards. You have to go into your next workout as fresh as possible. Absolutely. So did, did any of your old football injuries come back and haunt you right now? Uh, yeah, my shoulder. Um, my shoulder will bother me at times, especially after long swims. But uh, it, it holds up, and that's all I could ask for, you know. Um, and that happened during football. Uh, it was... Uh, my biggest injury was the labrum. I've had it twice now repaired. That was Kellenberg. I don't know if you remember junior year. I was playing center. I fractured my foot in the fourth quarter. Uh, come out, Coach Ross. Uh, rest in peace, Coach Ross. He took my shoe off and blew up like a balloon. Oh, man, I do uh, remember that, yes. And, uh, yeah, the next drive, offensively, uh, there was a fumble right off the bat. And uh, Kellenberg gets the ball back. Manos comes up to me like a madman with, with the, the headphones around his neck. I see him. I see that look in his eyes right now. Son, you better get the shoe back on right now. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is he talking about? <laughs> and uh, they, Kellenberg had the short field. They scored. And then I, I believe it was, it was a game that we had, in, you know, well in control. And then from there, real quick, it, it looked like it was on the line. Uh, and Russ, he gave me some help getting the shoe back on. Um, so I go back in the game, and uh, Kellenberg was pulling that BS move of torpedoing, torpedoing, excuse me, at our uh, at our legs as pulling linemen. I was playing center, so I, you know we worked all week with Coach Hench, Coach Ross, on digging them out, getting lower than them, flipping them on their back, and uh, I just caught a helmet to my shoulder. It's a blux at that moment, but from there on, it was uh, never the same. I can't remember if it was Lorella or Skako, but one of them <laughs> helping me down the field because we kept moving the ball. I'm like, oh, God, 
please stop. And uh, but we won that game, so that's that's what matters, right? And I remember the the cleat thing because it sparked a huge debate amongst the coaches of if a kid ever hurts his foot or sprains his ankle, do you take the cleat off or do you leave it on? I'm talking like as controversial conversation as you could ever have in the history of football. I don't think any one of us ever actually solved it, but we we sure as hell debated it for a few weeks after that. Yeah, so that was. There... Uh... That was a big that was a big mistake. I would have kept the shoe on if I could go back, but yeah. Now, is there a game in your high school career that you can go back and do something differently? Is it that game or is there a different game in your mind where man, I hate this game, I want to go back and change it? I never liked the way we finished as seniors. Um there's tons of games that I mean, if I could do something differently, I would slant the B-gap when that fat little fullback from St. Anthony's ran 60 yards on us down the middle of the field uh, in that game that we <laughs> technically lost. But, you know, I think we all know who won that game. I think they know who won that game. I think they were petrified to see us in the playoffs. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I wish I – I had C-gap that game. I wish I would have – I had an arm on the guy. I reached out. I had one guy on my tackle. I reached out. He ran right through it. I wish I would have slanted that B-gap. Uh, against your orders of my gap control and, uh, and and went for it. But as far as one game that I could take back, I never, I it never sat well with me that we lost the the final game of our career. It was, you know, it was a toilet bowl game. We sh- it was against Holy Cross. We beat yep. them early in the year. We should have beat them again. They shouldn't have even. We should have came out with such firepower and will. We we could have dominated them and we lost that game. And that's how we had to hang up our helmets uh, as a group. And after coming up from single A to triple A, I felt that that was a, a big failure for on our part. I guess I would try to motivate the guys. If I could do anything differently, it wouldn't be physically. I mean, I'm, could always play better, obviously, myself, but maybe try to talk to the seniors and make sure that we're all fired up to and, – and the juniors, whatever. Everyone, everyone had a hand in that game. You know, we all could have done better and won that game. If you're explaining uh, the toilet bowl for people that don't know, at that time in the New York City Catholic High School Football League, if you didn't make it to a certain point or if you lost a playoff game, you played in, in basically, I, I don't want to say meaningless, but it's kind of like it's like a loser's bracket. You go into it and you play, but there's no shot of you winning the actual championship. And as far as I remember, we had a really rough game the week before that, a really rough game. And emotionally, physically, I think – Coaches, players, I don't think anyone walked into that last game, as you said, as fired up as we needed to. We took Holy Cross lightly. I don't think they wanted to be there either, but they just happened to have a lot more talent, and they got away with it more than we couldn't. We had we didn't have enough talent to get away with going in there, not giving it every ounce of energy that we had. And if I remember correctly, they had a, a running back slash wide receiver who was going to Virginia, and they stuck him at quarterback, and they direct snapped to him, and he just kind of – they ran sweep with him, and that was it. It, it was – we couldn't handle it. Yep, that that's a good that's a pretty good summation of everything. The week before, it took all the wind out of us. It was a tough loss, playoffs. We thought we were, you know, we were looking forward to St. Anthony's, and we got crushed before that even happened. And and the rest was history, like you just said. Yeah, that quarterback killed us. And, and back to your C uh, gap uh, play versus St. Anthony's. I'm just gonna go back. Do your job, man. You can't you can't not do your job. So I've never been yeah. that. I can't pat a guy on the back if he does the wrong thing and makes a great play. I know some coaches do it, but it's like a short-term win for a long-term loss. So 
I'm glad you stayed in your sea gap. Keep doing it. Yeah. Stay in the sea gap I mean, tomorrow. I'm glad you are, Coach. I I, I wish I would have tackled <laughs> that guy. I wish I would have got him. I, uh, that play bothers me so much about that game. But, yeah. What, what team would you consider your biggest rivalry in high school? I mean, everyone wants to say St. Anthony's, but for me, it's it's not even close. It's Farrell. I mean, they wiped the floor with us. Not, I mean, let's let's even take it back a second. We're talking about Staten Island rivalry, you know, local competition. Before us coming up, it was you know, it was those those guys, the the uh, Joe Castellano, the the Ignaries. They have more. For us, I mean, we we moved up, and and then Farrell junior year, they creamed us, creamed us twice. They creamed us twice. once, I think, yeah, twice, twice. We were looking forward to that second time like idiots. We we <laughs> we we lost to them once during the season, and our big thing was, don't worry, we'll get back at them. We'll get back at them. We'll see them again. We're gonna see them again. What a blessing! We get to see them again. You know, we're all amped up. Opening kickoff. Uh, I think they killed Hench. Uh, he had a bad yep. injury in his back. I think opening drive for us, I, I don't know if it was opening drive, the second drive, Galati gets a concussion. I mean, we were a mess all over that place. Uh, and that was those were two horrible, horrible beatdowns we took from Farrell. And then to come back and beat them for the first time in our franchise, uh, well, in our school's history, uh, senior year, I thought that was a big accomplishment for us, and um, as far as rivalries go, I would say that, that that's that. Well, not that also sidetrack, but do you remember Coach Manos blaming the first loss on uh, not oh, what was his name? Oh, a guy got hurt on our on their side yes line. on their sideline. He blamed all of us on them. You gotta crawl. I don't care if you die. You gotta crawl out to the center of the field and die there. You don't get you don't get concussed on their sideline. Yeah, I do. I, hope I do remember hope he that. To this. He will absolutely be listening to it. But I, I definitely, I, I do remember that a guy had gotten hurt on Farrell's sideline, and he did have a point. I think the game kind of changed. The first game changed. The second game, I mean, there's two things that I specifically remember. One is they ran a toss pass before halftime. They were already ki- killing us. We call yeah. a timeout right before halftime, and then they run a toss pass touchdown and just to add insult to injury. And two, this is actually pretty important, they ran an unbalanced set to one side and then ran a guy across the field and tossed him the ball. I think his name was Conti. He killed us that game. They tossed him the ball to this unbalanced set, so they basically had two receivers on the line of scrimmage. For whatever reason, your senior year, it might be like, I don't know, a day before the game. That that formation and that play sticks in my head. I, I go over it again with you guys the day before the game, and, and sure as hell, we play Farrell, and immediately they come out in that set, but we perfectly adjust to it. They try and run the toss, and, and we shut it down. They tried to run it a couple times. So I don't know what, what sparked it in my head. It's not like today's time. We have instant access to huddle and easy clips to film. We're working on VHS tapes back then. So uh, it was a, a lucky dream that I must have had in the middle of the week, but that was an awesome, awesome win. And I, that is a, a sad but great story. That's a great comeback story. So, well, uh, I guess we have to thank you and your uh... – Psychotic way of thinking about that play, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you think of success in football at St. Joseph by the Sea, who comes to mind? Uh, in in football specifically, um, 
or it could be a guy you played with who's just successful at life. I mean, life life's a bigger question. That's always like, what's what is success to you? That's that's a whole other uh, animal to tackle, you know, me and you could, well, not you, I'm not standing next to you, you're pretty successful, but, I mean, you could stand me next to some guy and, and ask 100 people in a room uh, who's more successful, and you may get 50-50 answer down the middle. Um, but, uh, I don't know, There's a lot, to me, on the football field, there has to be guys who, who probably were facing all the odds, like, uh, and, and they shouldn't have been playing, but or maybe they... they not that they shouldn't have been playing, but you know, they they worked their ass off and they got on the field and, and they got their opportunity and uh, and they made the most of it. Um, in life, you can only hope for the same. You only hope you, you're going to keep working your ass off and, and you see what what the outcome is. Um, comes to mind like guys like Bonomi. That guy, I mean, he was tiny. I remember he tackled. Uh, I don't know if he tackled him. Or he tripped him up. Uh, Ali Agabu one time, and we all went nuts. Uh, yeah, and Bonomi, for those not who don't know Bonomi, he was a really small high school football player who grew a lot after high school. But I don't know, what he weigh, 120 pounds? But he, he practiced like he weighed 195 pounds. No regard for his body, practiced like a maniac, and he would get us all pumped up like you talked about. I mean, to me, yeah. that, that's a great answer. You know, we've asked this question a bunch of times, but Bonomi, wow, he ranks really high on that list of people that I would say is a success. Yeah, it doesn't have to exactly. You know, he he wasn't an advanced all star, but Bonomi was a vital part of the team. Everyone had their role to play. Um, but uh, there's tons of guys like that. You can go throughout all the years, guys who maybe didn't show up on the stat sheet, but really pushed our team. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it kind of general. And and what is you mentioned it very early on, but I want to get back to it. So you said you know high school football taught you a lot. What what did high school football teach you in terms of competing in these Ironman competitions? Uh, that that to me is it's got to be mental toughness. Um, it's it's not just what we learned on the field playing the games. You know, to me it was more. The off season, um, all that stuff, the intangibles that you, you you put in all the hours for, um, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You know, we pushed ourselves in the weight room, but the Tuesday and Thursdays, those competitions we had with each other, um, it was a lot of holds, core workouts. Who could uh, who could squeeze two ten pound weights between? Even something as dumb as that. I mean, we were all competing against each other. Who wanted to be the last guy? in the room holding those two 10-pound weights. You know, that always kind of stuck with me. Um, and then, I mean, you take that, you, you move it forward a little bit, you look at two-a-days, you look at camp, waking up, you got some crazy guy blasting Travis Tritt. You got to crawl <laughs> to the front of your cabin, put on these wet, disgusting pads that stink from the day before, and, and you, you got to make your way to a hill. It's 545, and... And you know that that's just practice one of four for the day, four. And you don't want to, you know, everything in your body, every cell is like, I don't, I don't want to do this. But, you know, you, you got to get it done. And you know that you guys are working to get better and, and you, you know, you're competing, you're trying to get a position, whatever it is. But, you know, all that stuff to me helps prepare for things like 
doing an Ironman. I mean, it's just a long distance race. That's all it really is. It's nothing special. But you don't you don't necessarily want to do it on certain days, and and that that's big. That'll help you. That definitely helps me get through and uh, and push through those times. I always think of those moments. Those prepare me the most, and not only for that, not only just for the races, but just for life in general. When you want to do something, those things always uh, resonated most with me. So let's get back to the most important thing that prepared you for these Ironman competitions, the 2008 Advanced Training Toughman. So I, I asked you if you remember anything about the event, and you said you don't remember much. So what, what do you remember about the 2008, this is 12 years ago, Advanced Training Toughman? Uh, I remember winning. <laughs> I remember uh, a few people that were there. I remember doing long holds and carrying uh, carrying things. We had buckets. Of, I don't even know what was in it. I don't even know what you put together. Uh, maybe uh, it was a hot day. I don't really remember, I remember much. That. I, can't re- I can't remember much. Sadly, this is before we started documenting every second of these tough men. So I'll tell you this. We had a tough man in 2007, but it was a team-based event, and it was in the front parking lot of St. Joseph-by-the-Sea High School because we were locked out of the back of St. Joseph-by-the-Sea High School. So 2008, we decided, okay, we're going to make this an individual competition and take it to Bloomingdale Park. I think I had a sandbag. I had two Home Depot buckets. I don't know what was in them, but I'll tell you, I believe one of them broke. I think the, one of the competitions was running with stuff with the bucket from one end of the field to the other. The other thing I remember is that in one event, Dom Martel was chased down by a dog. Uh, he did finish the event, but I was thinking, this is insanity. Like, this wasn't written into the script, and now this poor kid's being chased down by a dog, and he's going from one end of the field to the other. I so vaguely are- remember the dog. That's wild that you remember all that. The sandbag I remember, though. I do remember the sandbag. Yeah, now we have a lot more gear. It took us years and years to compile all this stuff. It is a lot more official, but uh, you were definitely one of the, the guinea pigs that we ran through it, and you were lucky enough to not be chased by a dog and to be crowned a victor in 2008. So <laughs> the other question Got I have... Got the belt and everything. Is, it's 2008. Uh, Coach Mahoney's getting married. My wife's oh, parting God. words to me night before the wedding. Please make me one promise. Don't hold a training session the morning tomorrow morning. Sure, sure, honey, you got it. Well, next thing you know, Vin Ferranti wants to retest his bench press. How did you talk me into it for the one and only promise I ever broke to my wife? If you're listening, Miss Mahoney, it's the only one I ever broke. How did you talk me into it? I was going to ask you if she's listening because if if she's listening, then my answer will be different. But from what I remember, and if she's not listening, I don't think it took much convincing or begging to ask you to uh, retest. I know I came back from, I think, uh, Cancun with the guys, with like uh, Roman and all them, and and um, I, I tested like I tested like crap and. Uh, I I think I was begging you for a retest because obviously the numbers counted and, and we were all competing. And I think you even offered it. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think it, you said the only I time I could do it. I think you said, yeah, I know. I, you might have. I think you said the only time I could do it is this. But I remember you giving me a look like, you know, don't mess this up. Yep. Don't don't not show up or something. You gave me a look. And I remember, Coach, we'll get it done. With the, we'll get it done quick. I promise, you know, whatever. I was very grateful. I remember all that. But I don't remember me, like, you know, having to twist your arm very hard to do it. I'll say that much. All right, Mrs. Mahoney, you heard it here first. It was all Vince <laughs> Ferranti. It was him. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you you look forward to probably, you know, that's got to be good a little bit therapeutic. Get get your mind off a big day, the day of. No. One hundred percent, man. I, I think it was you, me, Rob Mulligan. We were in uh, Ellis Street, what was then called yeah. uh, Atlas Gym. It, I needed to get that off my mind. So secretly, thank you very much. And I I think I did say. You better be there, because if I'm scheduling this thing in the morning of my med- wedding, you, you better not stand me up. And, and you were there. And you did. You gave me that that look with the with the raised eyebrows. I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, of course, you know, I wasn't going to miss it anyway, but yeah, I definitely won't miss it now. You raised your eyebrows. So <laughs> if you had if you had one piece of advice for a high school football player, what would it be? Uh. For football, just to enjoy it all, because it doesn't get better than that. You know, you don't you don't forget. I don't think you, from even back from when you played to at my year to guys after me, um, you know, like the Lyle McCombs and all them. But, you know, those years are the best years. You, you got to enjoy it. You can't. You don't even appreciate it, and it goes by. It flies by, and you're worried about all this other stuff. You don't realize how little responsibility you have, how much fun you're having. You know, you just you got no concern. You just go to school, do what you got to do. That would be another thing. Make sure you, it's not all just football. You know, pay attention in school and and uh, and get serious because a lot of guys. I mean, you just kind of get by, and football becomes the becomes the main priority. But yeah, just enjoy it all. That's what I would say. And also, <laughs> there's like three pieces of advice. And I said for one, I'll go away to school if you can. Uh, if you're going to play football or not. Uh, if you're going to pursue college, just get out of the, the little bubble um, and 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 get out of your comfort zone and, and go away to school. So three pieces of advice for a high school player. There you go. So you're saying get out of the, the bubble of Staten Island? I wasn't going to say Staten Island, but yeah, definitely the bubble of Staten Island, yes. <laughs> I would definitely you know say what? get out of the bubble, get out of your comfort zone, and go. Go learn who you are. And it's a tough thing right now, especially with college education costs and are you know, putting yourself in debt for the rest of your life. But I will say I went to school in Manhattan, which is not very far from Staten Island, and I felt like I was in a different world. Now, granted, at my school, very few people, hardly any were from New York, but Staten Island, everybody's pretty much the same, especially where we live. It's They're all pretty much the same person. person. So, yeah, getting out of this comfort zone, no matter how you do it, it's it's huge because you're going to have to deal with people in your life, especially in this global world we live in that don't necessarily live on the south shore of Staten Island and look like you and talk like you and, and think like you. You have to be able to, to expand your horizon and talk to other people and see what they live their lives like. So, Definitely. Uh, whew, so uh, some general questions for you, some rapid-fire questions. When you I'm were in ready. advanced training – what what was advanced training the answer to in your life? What, why were you part of it? Uh, competition. I, I, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Why why I was well, why I look back and say why I was drawn most to it. You know, football to that point was was life, and then it's over. Well, you know, if you go on to college and you have more of a reason to compete, but uh, once it's taken away, high school football and that that whole main platform is gone, you know, you don't have that challenge anymore of uh of getting to, you know, whatever it was we were trying to compete to for us it was national it was not national championship <laughs> CHSFL <laughs> championship triple A. Um but you're competing against uh other guys around you. They're all motivating you, you know, people are pushing you, holding you accountable. You know, you're going two, three, 
maybe four more reps than you thought you were going to be able to go when you were ready to rack the bar and you got a guy like you, like Mulligan or, uh, you know, Francis yelling at you. You know, Francis is half my size uh, height-wise. We're about the same width-wise, but, but height-wise, he's, he's half my size. And he'd be spotting me on the squat rack yelling at my ear. And, uh, you know, I always love him for that. I always uh, try to bring that up to him. And it's a memory we'll always have. If if you had to pick a tag team partner for one full year in a, in a, in a challenge, who would it be? Uh, does it have to be someone who participated at advanced training? Yes. Can't bring any ringers in. Can't bring in a Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. <sighs> that was The Rock. Obviously, was my second answer. That guy's motivating, right? He's always on social media. No, I would have picked Wilkie because he pushed me a lot uh, throughout the years at uh at sea, but if I had to pick somebody uh with advanced training it would probably either be Ignary or uh or Mulligan. we always kinda of looked up to the older guys when we were younger. Um you know, they had such they were like the attitude era of WWF. You know, they were they were like <laughs> these they were they were like the prime years to us. They were the older guys, no nonsense guys. They 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 showed us how to act and and to behave and we had that we ca- we mostly carried that tough attitude and we tried to as a team and as a program um and I always kind of looked up to those guys so yeah probably one of them and if you had to pick like the ultimate tag team to go against who would it be tag team to go I mean it would be tell me who your top 2 are and and it's got to be them I don't know who whoever your top 2 historic Performance up. I know Blanco's name is always thrown around. Uh, and I, when I got when I was getting out of advanced training, he was coming on, so I did some training with him. Um, and I know uh, Reyes became a, a big uh, stud at advanced training out of nowhere. But uh, yeah, I don't know. guess those two guys, or whoever else, your top two guys. I'll pick those two, and then that'll that, be my. That's uh, a pretty look. I, I love like a parent loves all their children equally. I love everyone equally. But those are two guys that, that that'd be a pretty interesting uh, group to go against, just with with Blanco's charisma and his like he just motivates the hell out of everybody, and he doesn't have too bad of a performance. He's pretty damn good as, as strong, in terms of being really strong. His bench press was through the roof. Uh, but then you got Reyes, who's also broken my PowerPoint system. That would be a pretty sick competition. So we might have to bring every well Blanco's out of retirement now. We have to bring all the other guys out of advanced training retirement and set up this tag team competition. All right. Uh, what is the worst training advice you have ever gotten in your life? Uh, probably the notion of uh, you know no pain no gain or you're not you're not working if it doesn't hurt. It has its place at times. You know, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about on the field football wise, right? Like it's going to be grueling. It's going to suck. All that's going to happen. Those moments of I don't want to be here and this this hurts. You know. That you push through and you become a better team, a better player, a better individual. But and uh, but as far as that goes, as far as no pain, no gain, if your body's hurting, and now with the level of training that I'm doing now, it's you know that that doesn't hold true anymore. And the science shows it. Um, if something's hurting, you're not doing. Maybe you're not doing it correctly. Maybe your form is off. Maybe by a little. Maybe by a lot. Maybe you have something else going on that's triggering. Whole other onslaught of injuries or, or, or nagging little pains uh, taking place throughout your body. 
Uh, maybe you're not taking enough rest, or you're hitting the same area too much. Whatever it is, you, you know, maybe you should listen a little bit more to your body and do a little bit more research um, instead of just pushing through. You can't just muscle your way through life like that. You you got to know what you're doing a little bit. So, and I tried that at first with everything I'm doing now. I tried to just push through, and my numbers weren't where they are. Once I learned a little bit more about zone two training and and uh, you know st- keeping my heart rate low and my my workouts have uh have gotten much better since then my numbers have what what failure or apparent failure in your life inside or outside of training actually led to a success later on <laughs> uh, first thing that pops up is uh getting thrown out of college uh I went back after I had a little time out for a semester, but I got into I don't even know if you know this, but I got into an altercation um, with some guys, and um, I got thrown out of school. Um, it was a big, it was a big life lesson. I, it was a big kind of stare yourself in the mirror. What, what the hell is going on? What am I doing in my life? Where, where am I going? What do I want out of this? You know, out of this trip, out of this voyage, and uh, I kind of came back a different person. Um, to school, much more calm, and uh, just kind of a different view on everything. So, I, did you get and for, did you get thrown out and then readmitted? Did you get readmitted back into school? Or you were just thrown out for good. No, I, I was readmitted. They they gave me a, a semester off. There was a it was a whole it was a bad time at the school. Um, they had someone got uh, murdered on campus, um, and then once my Altercation I haven't shoot, you know, I did, they didn't have any choice but to throw me out of school. I'm not making an excuse. I deserve to be thrown out of school, but yeah, I was, I was taken off uh the roster for a uh, a semester given a, a little time out. Um uh, but then I went back. My I mean my grades reflected hugely the time because I went from C plus and B minuses because I didn't even really have to try and see and to get an eighty eight or ninety and then college hit me and I was you know you need to try in college, obviously. And then when I went back, my my grades went to A's in almost everything for the next two years. And I I even got to go away to college, um, incurred a little bit more debt, but I uh, not away to college. Excuse me, I took a semester to Spain, um, and that probably wouldn't have been that decision wouldn't have been made if I didn't need to make up classes. And I did that in the summer. I ran with the Bulls that summer. I, I, it was a great it was a great part of my life that I'm forever grateful for and maybe that doesn't happen if I don't get thrown out of school and maybe I'm not the same person that I am now if that doesn't happen either so yeah now what was worse uh getting thrown out of college or your parents reaction to you getting thrown out of college I know your parents so <laughs> how did that go do you know how many times I heard where did I go wrong you know how many <laughs> times I heard that for a semester oh man being home with them, it's not like, I mean, I didn't go home to an apartment. I had to come home to my parents, and I was I was seeing them with just the look. My, my dad was a little bit more understanding, I, I guess you could call it. But my mom, man, she was relentless with, uh, you know, what a, what a failure I was. But, you know, I took it for a grain of salt. I took it for a grain of salt for what it was. I, I know I disappointed them, but um, I, I like I said, I'm very I'm very grateful for that moment. I was doing I did construction with uh, Ojello. We were doing uh, asbestos removal of all things. I'm sure that's great combined with fireman work now. But 
But yeah, I'd, I don't know. To your question, it would probably be uh, probably my my parents' reaction more than getting thrown out of school. Whatever things happen in life, you make mistakes, you learn from them. You know, but you know, you, you don't want to disappoint your parents. You don't want to disappoint your coaches, thing people that matter to you in life, because that's what's important, right? Everyone's opinion doesn't matter. The people that you love most, you know, those people matter to you. So it would be the latter. It would be my parents. I was going to say, you know, I know your mom for a while through C football. I think I've seen her a bunch of times on Staten Island. And after that, she's a person that you can tell puts her heart and soul into everything. And obviously her kids, her sons are a huge part of that. And you said the word disappointment. Yeah, that's the thing I was thinking. She's the type of person you can just feel it through her that you don't want to disappoint her because she's putting so much into it. So I would not want to have been you making that phone call. Ma, uh, I just got thrown out of school. Uh, Wouldn't want to be there for that. All right, no, so, it, was, uh, maybe I, it was not pretty. Maybe I would want to be there for that just to see uh, the whole thing. All right, so uh, another question for you. I didn't tell you about this question, but we're throwing it in. Actually, I have two questions I didn't tell you about, so don't freak out. Question one of the two you don't know. If you could put anything on a billboard on the Staten Island Expressway, what would it say? Uh, <laughs> enjoy the ride. Enjoy the dance. Uh we all end up in the same place at the end. Something like <laughs> some along those lines, you know. People get so caught up in so much of the nonsense of life, of what do I need, and, and am I am I on track in life? Do I have this? Do I have that? Oh, I should have a house at this point. This person has more than me. You can go on and on, but you know, it's it's not about all that stuff that you accumulate. You know, it's not about how much you got at the end because in the end like i said you end up in the same you can't take it with you you end up in the same uh box uh whatever cremated pile of ashes however you want to call it but uh just enjoy the ride enjoy enjoy the dance throughout the way life's a dance enjoy the dance that's it love Not, it and uh and, and leave staten island if you can and come back you know if you want to but yeah like, <laughs> something like that uh, this is a joint question between me and uh, Steve Roman. If you had to do it all over, I, I, I already know where this is going. Go ahead. I, you didn't even you right. didn't put this. I know where this is going. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Now maybe I'm going to do it. If in some time down the future, if your old high school football coach uh, begs you to come help coach with him, would you make time and make that happen? <laughs> uh, so for guys who don't know what coach is talking about, he asked me to come. Uh, give him a hand uh, this off season. Well, this past off season with Peters, and I, I initially committed to it, and then I backed out due to uh, prior travel plans and race season and, and things that I I just had to uh, that I committed to prior to saying yes, and and I had to call him back. And you know, it's kind of it kind of plays off that conversation you said before about telling my mom to get thrown out of school. <laughs> Having to tell you I wasn't coming to coach was that same, you know, mo- those moments of oh, how the hell am I going to do this? It was that same facing that same fear. I was like, I let this guy down, man. I know I did. And you, you gave. Do you remember what your your answer was? I, you know, I I remember writing to you. I regret to, to write this to you, coach. But and I wrote out this whole thing. But because my first sentence was, I regret writing this to you, your answer, and after all that, wasn't like, you know, I got you, man, whatever. It was, I regret reading that. And that was it. That was where we left off. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> 
he's look, he's not happy. He's not happy with me, if, but it's okay. If this podcast does anything, at least I am just I'm locking you in right now for the next go round. I'm locking you in. I'm locking Wilkie in. I'm bringing back the band. So I'm glad this happens. All right, uh, last question. What is this is a question I ask everyone selfishly on the podcast. What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify my life or remove clutter? Uh, I would it would probably be just saying no to things that don't fit into your scheme, into your plan, into whatever it is that you want to accomplish in life. Say no to those things and and only put focus on what is your goal at hand, your your you know your mission, whatever you know. Write it, write it down, write it down. You know, we always had that put in our ear by somebody, but uh, you know, write down your goals, and then if if it doesn't fit into that, if if you got something going on, and somebody's asking you to do something, or or you know something's being asked of you, asked of you, and and it's not, it doesn't fit. It's okay to say no. You know, you can't you can't make everybody happy in life. You, you got to do what's important to you and, and to and to what you hold dear, your family and 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 the, your loved ones, your you know your friends that matter. Not all your friends, some of them, some of them come and go in your life, and uh, and you you want to do what you want to do. That would be my uh, my advice to remove the clutter. Say, just say no to the things that you don't want to do, Coach. I, I love that. I love ninety nine point nine percent of that. The only the only point one percent is if your old high school football coach is begging you to come back and coach high school football. <laughs> Otherwise, I am one hundred percent on board with what you just said, Vin Ferranti. This has been uh, awesome. I'm so glad you came on. I believe uh, Wilkie owes you a nice dinner at a very expensive restaurant where you can be socially distant. But uh, thank you for coming on, man. This has been awesome. You taught me a lot. I'm sure you're going to teach us a lot about this uh, non-sprinting in- endurance work that you're doing. So good stuff, man. I'm very happy for you. Very proud of you. Yeah, thanks, Coach. I I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Uh, was out of my comfort zone. I got to admit, coming on, following Wilkie, Army Ranger, you go on and on and on about him. Um, you know, it was tough, and uh, I definitely had my reservations. But yeah, and to follow up, kind of what Dave did or Matt did before. If anyone did have any questions about racing or or anything in that nature, you know. Just get you could give him my number and and I'd be willing to talk about what little I know. But yeah, it would, it would be willing to help out if uh, if it helps. Sure. Are you on Instagram or Twitter where they can contact you directly, or you want them to come through me? Uh, no, you they could contact me directly on uh, on Instagram. I'm not on. Actually, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, I uh, you got to keep up with all the uh, with all your uh, news from your favorite writers do, on Twitter. How do they find but, you on Instagram? On Instagram, it's just um, Chenzo, so like Vincenzo was short, C-E-N-Z-O, and then Ferranti, but it's spelled uh, F-E-R-O-N-T-E, and uh, I should pop up, there shouldn't be too many of those. I was trying to make myself hard to find for a few reasons in the past, but now I got no reason to (laughs) to hide anymore. That's it, man. Now that you're on this podcast, your whole life is going to change. You're going to... Millions and millions of people texting you about Ironman competitions. Yeah, well, it still won't be being the first, uh, the tough man winner. You know, that's all that matters, Coach. First one ever in history. (laughs) Write it down. That's a fact. That is a fact. And we're going to end on that note, Vin. Awesome stuff, man. Love you. So glad we connected on this podcast. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.